Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of our favorite spacefaring franchise on the road to season two of its latest entry, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by two additional members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hi. Hi. And Cicero Holmes. Uh, I want to dance with somebody. <laughs> the topic of the day. Yeah, we were we were uh, talking about funny face as we were getting ready to do this. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, today we're going to keep things on the shorter side once again, since we'll be discussing the recently released second episode of the Short Trek series. But before we get into that, what we typically do, and since it's been a little bit since uh, we last recorded, just because the scheduling has been on a little bit of a hiccup, I am transitioning into a new job, so awesome. that has, uh, thank you very much, but it's kind of made my editing duties a little, uh, I, I've lightened the load a little bit too much, so I need to get back into the groove of things, so I'm glad to well, be recording you, with you, you fine folks. Been, uh, hanging out in 1899. That's true. Last. That oh, Man, that is so... Oh, it's been pretty fantastic. I'm not going to lie. Playing playing Red Dead Redemption 2. I didn't think that I could get hooked the same way that the first game hooked me, but it's it's doing the job. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. But uh what have what have you guys been up to since the last time we recorded, particularly if it's come down to Star Trek engagement other than what we're about to talk about? Cicero, why don't you kick us off? So, um the uh life in Trek has been a little hit and miss. Um, uh, one of the things that I've done to re in, uh, re-engage with, uh, with the Trek franchise has been to listen to some of our past episodes, uh, more specifically, oh. um, the last two episodes that, that we've released, uh, they were great actually getting to take a listen to us talk about, uh, regenerate, uh, not regeneration, um, but the visitor. And uh, also to talk about the initial uh, entry into these short treks. Um, so that was that was a fun a fun listen. Uh, additionally, uh, every now and then I happen to on Sunday nights on uh, twitch.tv slash roll 20 app uh, happen to be playing as an Andorian on a Star Trek uh tabletop rpg that's right yeah so, how's that been going yeah it, it's so i uh i pinch hit uh this past this past sunday um they beamed me in for an away mission and uh, it was a lot of fun um but uh yeah if you guys are into uh tabletop rpgs um and want to check something out uh, make sure you do check it out it is at uh Seven, seven Eastern, four Pacific, mm-hmm. um, on Twitch.tv every Sunday. Twitch.tv slash uh, Roll Twenty app. And I'm uh, sure that you can find the direct link at Stubby Stan on Twitter. Ah, uh, yeah, sure, sure. You, you can you can find you can find links there. Um, the other thing that I've been engaging with, uh, is, it's not really a, uh, a happy topic. It's a celebratory one, but not really a happy one. Uh, and is, you know, tangentially, um, tied into Star Trek is mourning the loss of the one and only Stanley Lieber, yeah. also known as Stan Lee, um, you know, it, it's it it is funny. You know what? Like people are listening and saying, you know, some people maybe Cicero, why the hell are you talking about Stan Lee on a Star Trek podcast? Um, I think Stan Lee, his his um, his imprint and his the mark that he left on um, not only pop culture but culture in general. Uh, ties directly into Star Trek, I believe, um, because he was part of that vanguard that allowed us to dream um, and create uh, the modern myths of of you know of the twentieth and the twenty first century. Um, I think the these are going to be 
if if the if humanity is fortunate to live for another two or three hundred years on this planet, these will be the stories that uh, are talked about in the same way that we talk about Greek mythology and and all of those other things um, going forward. And and I think that Stan Lee, along with Gene Roddenberry and and you know Steve Ditko and and you know all the all the greats. Um, really allowed us to imagine and believe and to hope. Uh, and and uh, so, you know, I've been spending some time kind of, you know, in between tears, uh, celebrating the life of Stan Lee and, and the impact that it's made on my life. Beautifully said. Yeah, that's obviously a loss that uh, every, every member of, uh, you know, the you want to say the geek community i mean it certainly extends far beyond that though i mean right. stanley grew up reading shakespeare and you can absolutely tell the kinds of stories that he was into because it, it is very much reflected in his earliest comic book work right. he started he started at timely comics what became marvel at the right. age of 17 yeah. in 1939 That's crazy and uh who knew that that 17 year old kid would go on to help create some of the most enduring icons in popular culture. Right. Uh, I've been having a lot of difficulty wrapping my head around the loss of Stan Lee. Uh, when I worked at, uh, at another website that I had to be a senior editor for, the thing that I always hated the most about that job was pre-packaging obituaries. Mm. Um, but as many of those as I had to write, we never, or I was never assigned one for Stan Lee because losing him almost seemed kind of incomprehensible. Right. But, um, you know, we also lost Steve Ditko, co-creator right. of Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and a number of other characters. And uh, we lost Jack Kirby just right. about 20 years ago in, yeah. the, in the late 1990s. And really between those three, all of the, uh, all of the iconic uh, primary architects of the Marvel Comics universe are, are gone now. And but, DC Comics universe, really. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, that, that's a whole other conversation, of right. course. But right. Uh, but it's definitely a loss that is, uh, it's kind of hard to to put into words just because of how, uh, how influential all of that work has been, but what a legacy legacy to leave behind. And I think that that's probably the best thing that we can take away from it. Um, but yeah, very well said Cicero. Rachel, what have you been up to since the last time we recorded, particularly when it comes to Trek? Uh, I feel awkward talking about Trek now because you guys were all nice talking about Stan Lee. If you have feelings about Stan Lee, I have an embarrassingly an embarrassing Darth of feelings towards Stan Lee. So I will not mention it. Um, I watched the Best of Both Worlds parts one and two. Nice and wow, that really holds up. Mm-hmm. For being as old as it is, just totally, it's like it was made yesterday. Yeah. So great. Yeah. So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I also watched Home or Family or, or whatever the it one was, after. Yeah, it. right afterwards. Yeah, yeah. that was um, also a great episode. So, and then I also watched the episode with Dr. Sung calling data home which is not one of my favorite episodes but (laughs) yeah Yeah, that one's not the most uh memorable aka brent spiner is every single character (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah very true uh well as far as kind of what i've been up to when it comes to trek not too much unfortunately uh just because like i said before i've been my my headspace has been in some other places between job and between running around the wild west but i did notice and cicero this is something that you and i are going to have to connect with one of these days the age of discovery expansion on star trek online dropped yesterday yes, for consoles. It yes it did and uh so we might have to dive into that together so and, and maybe we can talk about it on this show but tilly is a featured character in the huh. uh in the campaign and i know that mary wiseman did voice work and uh it also sounds like jeffrey combs did voice work in it too as a descendant of shran from enterprise so uh so that's pretty cool but other than that i think we are now ready to jump into the discussion surrounding short treks episode two 
Calypso. So we got a second look at what these shorts have on offer, and it seems like this second episode was quite a departure from the first one. We all have some differing opinions about how well the first one landed. So what did you guys make of this one generally before we dive into its specifics? Rachel. I really liked it Uh much better than the first one. Much better? Yeah. Okay. I was engaged throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I was not confused. Very good. And I (coughs) felt satisfied when it was done. Okay. All right. Well, very positive. That's 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 good. Cicero, uh, you alluded off mic to some different feelings. Well, why don't you share those general ones with us, and then we'll get into specifics. So, so the general feeling is is this: um, it was shot beautifully. The performances were incredible, um, and as a story, it was a satisfying one but i was left underwhelmed uh in fact my name as uh what we use is uh peek behind the curtains we use zencaster every every week i try to come up with a nice nickname for myself and my nickname for myself this week is underwhelmero so (laughs) so yes i was underwhelmed all right well fair enough I I think I kind of fall in between you guys. Um, Only and and the only reason why I am kind of on Cicero's side is that its connection to the canon seems tenuous. But then again, you know, I'm on Rachel's side because we've watched it twice now. And even though there's a couple of points in the middle of it when I'm watching it where I kind of go, okay, by the end of it, I'm always like welling up a little bit. Like, I don't know what it is, but it, it had, maybe it's the swelling music at the end of it. Sure. And the, the, um, you know, the allusion to the movie title on the, on the shuttlecraft, but whatever it is, I mean, it left an emotional impression on me that I can't really ignore. Uh, but, but before we, we jump in, here's a little short synopsis for, for this episode. So, The USS Discovery, after drifting in space for a thousand years, has evolved to the point that its computer system has become sentient and named itself Zora. She retrieves a passing escape pod carrying a man who doesn't wish to reveal his name to her, but he says that she can call him Kraft. Zora reveals that she's been ordered to hold her current position for the past millennium by the unnamed Captain of Discovery, though she doesn't offer any additional details about who exactly made up the ship's crew at the time that everybody left. Zora initially keeps Kraft aboard the ship. She wants company and is beginning to fall in love with him, but eventually lets him take Discovery's last remaining shuttle to return to his home on a planet called Alcor 4, which apparently has some sort of human colonization presence. Now, that's how it does. Right. Yeah. At some at some point a thousand years after the 23rd century but that's kind of a sterile description because um i think we're, we're gonna have a lot to talk about when we talk uh particularly when rachel is gonna walk us through the sort of mythological connections and just the emotional beats whether they landed with us or not so rachel before we dive into our next point can you give us a little bit of an overview about its mythological connection uh, well, Kraft is Odysseus, yeah. so um, you may recall that there's a, po- or a poem called Homer's Odyssey, mm-hmm. um, and it is about a uh, dude named Odysseus <laughs> who goes to fight a war and then has to go back from the war to his wife, um, and it takes him 10 years. And he has all sorts of crazy adventures along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, Odysseus is um, known by an epithet. So Homer uh, used a lot of um, what are called Homeric epithets. So they're like combinations of words that fit uh, the meter of the, the poem that mm-hmm. he was, was telling. Um, and so the, the 
adjective that's attached to Odysseus is a Greek word that is sometimes translated into English as crafty. Mm. So uh, that's probably where that came from. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the title Calypso refers to an episode in the Odyssey where Odysseus is sort of held captive by this water nymph uh, who is in love with him. Mm-hmm. And she tricks him a bunch to not to get him to not leave. Mm-hmm. And eventually he is able to leave. Okay. So uh, the, you know, craft is crafty. We never knew his real name. He's been out there 10 years. He's trying to get back to his wife. He is waylaid by a alluring lady of the, of the ocean <laughs> or the <laughs> right, ocean right. of stars, yeah. if you will. And eventually escapes her clutches. So would you be comfortable then calling this an adaptation of that story? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Does that seem like it applies? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, because when you look at the details of it, it seems to line up pretty, pretty closely right. with, yeah. with the original mythological story. Uh, so, so that part of it definitely elevates it. Um, but something that I find just generally amazing about this one is the setting because it takes place a thousand years in the future, right. which I believe technically makes it the furthest point in the canon of the entire franchise. So with the aim of this episode, and it's very separate standing from the rest of Star Trek history, but also with that mythological connection, what did you guys make of this one overall? Now, Cicero, I know that that might be... I, I'm not sure if you were aware of that connection or not. We, I, I found out about it after the fact. Right. Rachel had to tell me. Yeah, I was, uh, I was not. I was not at all. Does that affect your perception of it at all? It, um, it definitely... Uh, it, makes, it makes more sense now. Uh, it definitely makes the story more poignant. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't affect my overall feeling about being underwhelmed um, okay yeah yeah uh and we can you know we'll dive into that and yeah you know, why that is sure okay rachel what do you think about how it stands sort of in the the trek mythology or does that matter um i thought I didn't really think of it as particularly connected to the trek mythology i sort of assume a thousand years is so far in the future from the setting of Star Trek that it what happens in it has really no bearing on the store the present day of Trek mm-hmm. as it is. I mean the the Federation may well still be out there. They just forgot about Discovery, right? right. Um you you know you can think whatever you want. So I don't think I I just didn't connect the two in my mind and and kind of looked at this as a standalone story mm-hmm. that's sort of a retelling of a much older story. Yeah. So Yeah, and I think I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, I you know how I get though. I get so bogged down in the the canonicity of things that you know, I look at this and I wonder well, so does this mean that discovery is going to be safe for as long as we see it. It looks pretty good. For, right. right. For, That's true. I mean, it's, it's not going to get blown up like every other. No, no, Star it's, Trek it's not in pieces. It's, uh, it's well-maintained, even if it might be a little dusty on the inside. Uh, the food is preserved. Yeah. Uh, the systems but are still then, working. Yeah. 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 The computer systems are obviously still working and even advancing and unto themselves. But, you know, that it seems like kind of gets in the way of what this story was trying to do uh, just by kind of serving as a futuristic take on a classically mythological story. Is this the right venue for that? That's another question. Right. Um, I've, I found it enjoyable. I, I guess I kind of question the purpose of it only because – I think the big question that arises out of this is whether or not there's going to be some kind of connection between craft and season two. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts about that? Was this a wholly isolated spinoff 
or could we be seeing the implications of this expand into the actual second season of discovery? Cicero, what do you think? Yeah. So I, you know, like I said, uh, when we were talking about what I've been doing, um, when I listened back to us talk about the Tilly short, I think yeah. one of the, and rightfully so, one of the arguments that was made by by both Rachel and and by Zachy was the fact that it just kind of didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like this this story didn't matter. Um, that you know, it was kind of confusing. Um, you know, as, as, as Rachel called it, all the jibber jabber, um, <laughs> that, was, that, that, you know, that kind of pushed the story along. Um, and the thing that was redeeming for me was the fact that, it, you know, it stood alone, it stood by itself, uh, all alone in, in, in the, in the canon, but it helped to color some, you know, color some of the, the, black and white spaces of, of the Tilly character. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't get any of that in, in this story because even the one character that could potentially be um, illuminated by this is, is Zora the computer, right? Mm-hmm. Unless at some point during the course of this season, we wind up seeing that the computer starts to gain a level of sentience and, and becomes uh, somewhat of a character in its own right. Then, like none of this, none of this matters. It was a great story. It was beautiful. It is something that, uh, if someone wanted to uh, see what Star Trek Discovery was all about in terms of like, oh, is it you know, is it cheesy TV, what have you? This is something in 15 minutes that I could show them and and see uh, and say, look, look at those sets. They're beautiful. Look at, you know, look at the the shots that they take. They're beautiful. Look at this, the effects. They're, mm-hmm. they're fantastic. They're top notch. Now watch this, you know, now watch the show. Um, right. And from, you know, from from that aspect and it doesn't ruin any of the show for them because none of the characters are in it um, mm-hmm. except for except for the ship. So um, I think from that perspective, it it does it does a job, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't help me to feel like I've got something extra to go into season two with, um, and and that's kind of what I was hoping to get out of these shorts. Uh, but sure. but I, I'm not, and because I didn't, or because at least today. Uh, um, you know, six, eight weeks before the premiere of season two, it appears to be that way, then, then, you know, that leaves me underwhelmed. Okay. I think that's understandable. Rachel, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that this could potentially add anything as we go into season two, or are you okay with these potentially just being isolated and separate that don't really have any bearing on what we're about to see? I'm fine with this one being totally separate. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, I was not fine with the last one <laughs> being totally separate. But like, I don't know. I can change my mind if I want. Yes, you can. Uh, so I, yeah, I would be fine with it. I would also be kind of excited if there was some sort of small reference made to it in the main season. Mm-hmm. Um, I like sort of insider easter egg things like that yeah um but i think that the writers are just sort of playing around with different sort of story structures maybe Mm -hmm. and so i'm okay with it just you know being by itself yeah and you know as as separate as this one is i don't think you could say that any of the other ones are going to be nearly this sort of, I guess, experimental, uh, just by virtue of who we're going to see in them. Right. Uh, you know, we saw Tilly in the first one. Obviously, she was a pivotal character in the in the first season and will be in the second season. Uh, then we have this one. But then next time, when uh, the next short trek drops on December the sixth, uh, it's we're going to see Saru and we're going to see other Kelpians, and obviously that's. Uh, pretty embedded in 
the additions to the mythology that Discovery is making. And then the final one, right before season two actually drops, is going to be uh, about Harry Mudd. Right. And you can't really do a story in a Star Trek show that isn't connected to what we've seen before if you include a character like Harry Mudd. Right. Uh, you know, he's he's arguably uh, the most inside baseball, so to speak. And uh, so when it comes to this one, I guess my general perspective is that one sort of short one-off is permissible out of the four. Uh, it keeps the formula, I guess, a little bit fresh, but also might give you some new perspective on some aspects of the uh, of of the world of the show that we had never seen before. And, you know, this character, even though he's based on one of mythology's most classic heroes, I, I found the, the performance to be solid. Yeah. And I found the character to be interesting which kind of makes me sad that maybe we won't be seeing him again at least not in any uh predictable sense cast but, him as someone else <laughs> yeah i mean they, they, <laughs> hey star trek has done it before sure. uh, i mean they they could absolutely do that but cicero tell me what you think about craft just as a character that we followed i mean is he at the center of where your issues might lie with this one or did you like him in spite of how the rest of it was? oh no i thought i thought the performances were phenomenal i thought they were really good uh I, aldous hodge um he was in hidden figures um, oh okay and uh yeah i mean he's he's a a really great actor and it, you know if this was your first time really kind of seeing him um with a capital s uh, I think that he he did himself justice, um, and and you know, and the fact that really we got four there were f- four actors in this entire episode, um, you know, between himself and the the two holograms dancing in the in the movie, uh, mm-hmm. guess one looked like Fred Astaire, but, yeah, and then the other one was Catherine Hepburn, I yeah. Think. Um, Audrey. Audrey Hepburn, yeah, uh, and then and you know and then Zora, as as you know the kind of like the uh, you know the the disembodied voice of the of the computer, but their interaction was fantastic. I I really felt like I felt immediately uh, felt who this character was as craft and you know the fact that he was. Uh, at, at least initially distrustful of where he was his surroundings and and who this person was that was talking to him and then you know and then trying to figure out it was very um i i felt like at the beginning the conversation the monologue or it wasn't a monologue the dialogue that he was having with Zara once he woke up was very um uh I, at least initially, I thought it was Shakespearean, but yeah, it was uh, Homerian, uh, you know, uh, or mm-hmm. Homer-like. Uh, like there, there was a, it was a very deliberate way of speaking um, mm-hmm. that that kind of didn't feel natural, but it but it worked. Um, and then you know, as we went through the story, I like I got it, and it worked for me. Um, so yeah, nothing about my my main issue with this has nothing to do with what we watched, but um, but where it sits and why we watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, you know, uh, and and I, I think it leads to, and I don't want to derail things, but I think it leads to the question about what these what are these shorts and what are they for? Um, you know, and, and I think we, you know, we kind of, we, we posited that question after the first one and we really didn't have an answer. Um, and I think after the second one, I'm even less sure of what they're for. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, cause that was a pretty big portion of our discussion the last time. And, uh, Maybe, maybe they're just for 
showcasing their technical ability. Uh, I mean, but also too, we still have two left. They could potentially choose to tie them all together in some form or fashion. I'm not really counting on that. But Rachel, Rachel, what do you think they're for? Like I think you... they're for keeping you subscribed to CBS All Access. <laughs> well, good yeah, job. that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but is that all you're getting out of them? Uh, because this one. I mean, seemed... you suggested that we cancel our CBS All Access until January, and then I was like, "What about the shorts?" And you're like, "Oh yeah." That's so. true. Well, yeah, no, I I understand yeah. that, but would you? But this one, I think you would agree. It seemed far more artistically oriented than the first one. Yeah, I mean, I I really liked this one, but I don't have much of an answer of what they're for. And I think that probably the differing style of this one from the other one does not help us answer that question or formulate an answer to it Mm -hmm. um so in conclusion i do not know perhaps (laughs) it will become clear uh but i think probably the main impetus for the money being thrown at them is to uh keep people subscribed to cbs all access Mm -hmm. because doesn't really have a whole lot of value well so so then if if that's the point i think i mean i think that is is definitely a salient one um the question is to both of you was this episode and the one that preceded it worth seven or ten dollars depending on which uh subscription uh package you have was it worth seven dollars to you was it worth ten dollars to you no, I mean I I don't think I can really say yes to to a question like that. Um, I mean, but that's that's the equation, right? I yeah, mean, because, no, it is because it is. you're not watching anything else on these services, yeah. and the only reason that you have these services right now today is so that you could have watched thirty minutes of Star Trek. Yeah. Yes. And sort of inertia <laughs> right 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 exactly apathy <laughs> right yeah, yeah i mean that, that always plays into it yeah. in in some way but you know i i, I guess i kind of look at this as i'm i'm surprised that cbs is still maintaining access to the star trek series on netflix uh at least in the united states uh, because it seems like CBS, at least just with the news that we've been observing now over the past several months, you know, with them kicking up the Picard show and with the potential animated show in the works and uh, rumblings about whether or not they want to create even more live action Star Trek shows right. so that there's always Trek something on the service. Uh, we're obviously not to that point yet, presuming we ever will be. I have a an extraordinary lack of faith in CBS to give me <laughs> Star Trek when I want Star Trek. Right. But, um, you know, the, uh, in the here and now, I can't say that this episode on its own was worth the, the monthly subscription fee. But at the same time, too, I also am enough of a fan that I want to contribute more to the health of the franchise, which I know sounds really dumb probably to a lot of people. No, no, it doesn't because you know, if, if we weren't around, this wouldn't be around. That's true. You know? Yeah. Um, And, and if, if there weren't enough of us that kept the service, I, I have found other reasons to, uh, to justify having having the monthly subscription service and have mm-hmm. been using it to watch other CBS programming. Uh, yeah. So it has been, you know, it definitely has been worthwhile to me, but um, had it not been for Discovery, I would not have had the service. And had there not been other things that I was interested in on CBS, then I may have canceled the service. And and while that may not have stopped them from having a second season, it may have stopped them from having a third. Because, yeah. you know, if that money continually wasn't coming in, 
then it'd be hard for them to justify, you know, or even, you know, uh, scrounge up the money because um, the budgets are, are I'm, I'm sure, uh, impressive for for a show that looks this good. Well, and I mean, if we're just talking about the wider service for this for the moment, I have to believe and Rachel, I'm sure you would agree with this, too, that discovery is apparent success because cbs is only saying good things about it and what it has done for them and for the for defining the service pretty much without discovery we may not have a new twilight zone to look forward that is correct and uh and we certainly wouldn't have the picard show to look forward that is correct and you know with all of these people and we've talked to some of them with these these sort of died in the wool trek fans which you know I count myself a, a died in the wool trek fan I guess I'm just a little bit more open minded than some of these people but those people are also probably going to be brought into the fold because we're all getting one of our major heroes in the franchise back right and I can't imagine these people remaining holdouts and staying belligerent or maintaining a belligerent attitude towards the newest exploitations in the franchise if it means that we get a Jean-Luc Picard resurgent out of the deal right uh so you know these people who are talking about the discovery having violated the sanctity of Star Trek first of all is total crap yeah well but also it wrote the check to Patrick Stewart to come back yes so how how can you really dispute that yes so, I don't know, Rach. What do you think just about the viability of of CBS All Access in the current moment? Because we know what's coming, but is this sort of drip that we have in between seasons as a Star Trek fan? Is that enough of a justification for you to keep it? Not really, but <laughs> you're here <laughs> but now. It's ha- <laughs> but it's happening. Yeah. Probably if we didn't have this podcast, I would say just wait and we'll watch them all in January, right? right? Yeah. Um but I think the subscription business model works because people are inherently lazy and yes. we will just let that 10 bucks come out every month because mm-hmm. it doesn't really make a difference in our bottom line by itself and it's easier than you know, taking the time to cancel and then sign up and cancel and yeah, and, right. and that stuff. So, and CBS has to like they have to develop a streaming service. Like network TV is dying. Yeah, and the people who are watching it are going to be dying. Mm-hmm. Because- <laughs> 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 well, I mean, Zachy has said his kids don't have a a concept a of a concept show on of at something a time. being on at a time, right. and like we don't have cable, and not very many people I know have it, right. and the people I do know who have it aren't really watching prime time stuff. They have it for you know because it came with their internet, and they like to watch Good Morning America. Yeah, so like it's. I I really take exception to that that stereotype. As someone as someone who still has cable, but that's okay. Present company accepted. You're a bit younger than I think the like typical CBS viewer is. Yes. Um. I think CBS in particular has an older audience. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it does it? See, I don't even know this much. Historically, uh, yeah, yeah. Historically, like, yeah. CBS is the uh, they're the channel of Murder She Wrote and Doctor Quinn, Medicine okay. Woman, and you know, uh, and CIS. CIS, right? right <laughs> okay, right. all right. That, you don't Your need to say Your parents' favorite show, yeah. NCIS. <laughs> you don't need to say. Uh, well, Rachel, you love Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman. I. Stopped watching it because it was not made for binging because the townsfolk always are doing something bad every episode. <laughs> they never so, learn anything. And, like you start to like be like, these are not good people. <laughs> like they just tried to lynch the black guy in town and now we're just supposed to be okay with everything. Oh, and I'm like, I'm not okay with them. Like they burned books. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Every week is a reset. Every week is a reset. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like anyway, killing Kenny. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> they become unsympathetic when watched uh, as uh, all together. In any case, so they have to they have to make this shift to streaming. They have to at least try, and I think that the method in which they have chosen to do it by putting Star Trek on there is extremely smart, because it really gives you a chance to or a a lure and i think that the lure is the most important thing because once you net enough people in your in your talons well and uh, enough of them will just be too lazy to cancel that you'll make money and there's no indication that we're so we're going to be getting a new series f- that stars patrick stewart right that is not going to be on the primary network which is insane to me yeah yeah but yeah. Cicero, you were going to say something. Oh, no. Yeah. So I was what I was going to say was uh, two things. First is um, the director for this episode. Again, like I've got nothing but great things to say about the episode as right. as a as a piece of work. Um, mm-hmm. The director was Olatunde Osun Sanami. Um, mm. Yeah, say that three times fast. Um, and I think it's, you know, I think it's important to uh, to call that out um, and to call out uh, Alex Kurtzman and uh, and, you know, the whole crew over there at Star Trek, because they are they are definitely going out of their way to find new and fresh faces, both in front and behind the camera. And yeah. and in addition to that, um, finding people of color. Um, yes. both, you know, again, but in front, in front of, and behind the camera to, a, to give them opportunities on a major stage. Um, mm-hmm. even if it is a short, it is a Star Trek short. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, a, 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 giving them the, the, the chance to, uh, showcase their talents, um, for, for people that have never seen them before. So I, you know, I wanted to definitely shout that out. Um, additionally, I, I was able to find a short paragraph, a, uh, synopsis of, of all four of the teaser episodes, all four of the shorts. Um, the next short with Saru is called the brightest star. Um, and, and, you know, and like you said, it's about other Kelpians, um, so the description is before he was the first Kelpian to join Starfleet, Saru Doug Jones lived a simple life on his home planet of Kaminar with his father and sister. Young Saru, full of ingenuity and a level of curiosity uncommon among his people, yearns to find out what lies beyond his village, leading him on an unexpected path. Now, that sounds intriguing to me. These are the types of stories um that you know again like like the first one runaway with with Tilly these are the types of stories that I wanted to see in these shorts where we we get a little bit of of depth to these characters that we learn you know that we met in the first season but only only in in you know somewhat uh really and basically for for both of those characters I think we we only were able to view them through the eyes of primarily Michael Burnham. Uh, mm-hmm. And so having them star in these shorts and, and giving us some insight into those characters are, is, is a great opportunity uh, for us to see what those characters are like. Uh, the, the fourth one airing on January 3rd, just two weeks before the premiere, uh, starring Harry Mudd, of course, played by Rain Wilson brilliantly, I might add. Yeah. Uh, Harry Mudd, back to his old tricks, is called the escape artist, back to his old tricks of stealing and double dealing, finds himself in a precarious position aboard a hostile ship just in time to try out his latest con. Um, oh, boy. Directed <laughs> by Rain Wilson also. Interesting. Uh, so um, that, that'll, be, that'll be fun to, fun to watch. It's... Um, so like those are cool. I I you know, it really comes back to while I thought Calypso was a brilliant piece of television, what I wanted to see from these shorts was more character building of the people that didn't have a chance to be built 
during during the course of of the first season uh because it was such you know it was at such a breakneck pace even when it was slow um so that when we started season two i felt like as as Rachel kind of alluded to, I felt I had that little Easter eggy moment where I knew a little bit more about these characters when I saw them on screen the, the first time or the first few times. So I could say, oh, man, yeah, you know, I like this person or I like this aspect of them or I want to learn more about the, this thing um, yeah. and bring that into the show with me. Very well said. Rachel, you wanted to... Oh, I think that you raise an interesting point that maybe the purpose of, or one of the purposes of these shorts might be to do some sort of talent development or let people direct a a short episode to see if maybe they could direct a longer one. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a thought. Yeah, a place to to try it out. I mean, the point is well taken. I think that... uh, you know, Discovery in general has a slick aesthetic to it. Yes. You know, it's 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 a pretty show. Yes. But Calypso was particularly gorgeous, yes. I thought, just in its composition and, of course, in its visual effects. Uh, and even, you know, with kind of an understated approach compared to what we saw in the series proper. I mean, the the visuals granted by the mycelial network in season one and mm-hmm. and and Ripper and, uh, you know, trade, moving between universes and everything from the transporter effects to the phasers to looking at the planets to, you know, the descent of the sort of lens flare philosophy of the Kelvin movies into Discovery. I mean, Discovery is a beautiful show, but Calypso just, it took just enough from what we had seen before and what was familiar and it it definitely made the most of of what we saw so there was definitely talent all around in front of and behind the camera right. for it and 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 that gives it value too you know that's, that's, that definitely can't be sold short um all right guys well do you have any final thoughts on calypso before we close it out for this week rachel no i said everything you said everything i liked it all right i liked it thumbs up from rachel cicero um i i I liked i liked the episode um i didn't like where it left us with uh with respect to the main series because it didn't feel like it uh it connected um also uh, the director of this episode, Alatunde Osu San, Sanmi, um, <laughs> also directed two episodes of the show proper last season. Um, mm. The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. Great ah, episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. And What's Past is Prologue. Another great episode. Also a very good one. Yeah, so, um, yeah. So it, I, I really, again, um, you know, uh, I respect if if for no other reason um, to love the show from a very selfish perspective for me, I love the I love the opportunities that they are giving and the the voices and the agency that they're giving to to people of color, uh, both in front of and behind the camera. Most definitely. Yeah, I, I absolutely share your sentiments and uh, it'll be really interesting to see how things uh how things line up for for the uh, the next one, especially since it's going to be focusing on a character that we all know so well. Yes. So um, I know I said this before, but we had a bit of a schedule change, as I alluded to before. So next time on Debrief, we plan on bringing you the discussion surrounding Cicero's favorite Star Trek episode in our ongoing Debrief's favorite series, which is Cicero. Uh, regeneration from Star Trek Enterprise season two. I think episode twenty two or twenty three. I think it's up there. Yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely near the end of season two. Yes. It's uh, it's a polarizing topic, but yes. a, an interesting one nonetheless. Yes. Particularly if you like diving into the weeds of the canon. And you know, one of the things that I'll just I, I don't want to mention it too much, but it might actually resolve a canon issue. Hmm. Uh, weirdly enough. So we'll have to, we'll have to talk about that when we actually dive into it. All right. Uh, 
But we also plan after that to bring you a host of reviews. So obviously the next Short Treks episode, a couple of other debriefs favorites from some new and returning friends of the show. Sorry about our scheduling problem, Sharif and my buddy, Mr. JB. And of the latest Discovery tie-in novel, Fear Itself, written by author James Swallow. And all of this is going to lead back to season two of Discovery, which is just over two months away. Not that far. It's going to be here before we know it. And I'm pretty excited for it to come back. But as for right now, that's going to do it for episode 29 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us as we convene next time to discuss more favorites, more short treks, all as we barrel forward towards season two of Discovery on January 17th. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. Bye.